This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello and welcome again to another in the series of Sam Talks Technology. Uh, I'm very excited today because I have got a very old friend on, uh, Alistair Mitchell, Ali Mitchell, who uh, I knew about a decade ago. He was the CEO of Huddle, but he's now moved over to uh, be... The, de- the dark side. Oh, the dark side, yes. Gamekeeper turned poacher or poacher turned gamekeeper. Uh, he's now a partner at EQT Ventures, an exciting uh, VC, came out of Sweden, just raised $660 million in their uh, second venture fund, I think. Um, Ali, welcome. How are you? It's great to be here, Sam. And good to, as you said, good to to spend the time talking after having known each other for so long. Yeah. Um, you're based in San Francisco mainly now, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So we, we've got a team that's spread out across Europe and the US, and we have a, a small office, a small but very active office in San Francisco, helping uh, European entrepreneurs and founders get into the US, but also helping US founders build their business in Europe, which is becoming an increasingly exciting and active place for them to, to look at. How long have you been out in San Francisco now? So as you alluded to, so I've been, we've been out here seven years as a family. Andy, my co-founder from Huddle, moved out about 10 years ago. So we yeah. feel old old people now and we've been out here a while. But we, we moved out basically to bring Huddle out for the same journey that a lot of European founders go when they think about um, uh, building their business. I mean, back in the day, you know, 10 years ago, there were very few active later stage investors in Europe. And that's indeed part of what we're trying to solve with EQT Ventures. Right. So we made the journey primarily for cash and we'd raised from you know, great US investors and they demand the US to be out there on the valley. So we moved out there to build the business. And in some ways it was great, in some ways actually it was a mistake. And so when we, when I, when we started and built EQT Ventures, we, that was one of the things we were trying to solve was to have great um, investors in Europe helping companies to go international. Um, but we, we did that. And then after the huddle journey, when we sold that business, um, after about 10 years, we both ended up, both Andy and I both ended up going into VC. Um, yeah, I interviewed Andy, in, yeah, I interviewed Andy really about a month ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you said actually, yeah. So, so him in, in the early stage and then me in later stage VC based out of Europe. But um, that's what we spend our time doing. Brilliant. Okay, let's, before we get on to the past and huddle and how, you, how that all came about, let's start with what you are today. So you're a partner there. Um, were you one of the founding partners or have you, did you join later on? How did, how, did, how did you get into EQT Ventures? I mean, where did so, it all begin? Yeah, so, my, so basically what happened is when, when we were starting huddle, we, we very quickly saw some of the issues and problems with venture as we saw it in Europe. And uh, I said, I've always, always loved to, I, I said, I really always wanted to start a VC fund when we came out of it. Um, <clears throat> and so we all, it's kind of a path that we thought we were on. And when, so when, um, when I came out of Huddle, I actually started my own fund um, okay. called Singular Ventures out of London with some of the investors in Huddle and a couple of other founders to, to basically build a transatlantic VC fund. We play with lots of different names, you know, Transat and Singular. Singular still exists and has got a bunch of different investments, um, okay. some of which are doing very, very well. Companies like Clio and, and a bunch of others, um, 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 Zigo and so on. And um, we, we basically went with this mission of helping great founders to go international, um, focus very much on B2B. That's my background, obviously, from Huddle. That's all I've kind of done for, for 18, 20 years is B2B and enterprise software. And um, what was called SaaS, but it's now just software and, and so on. So, yeah, helping companies to do that, raise money, go big. And when um, Brexit happened, um, a, a lot of the LPs in Europe, a lot of the institutional LPs like EIF, basically had to pull out of the market for British VCs because, they're, you know, obviously... UK was no longer be part of the European Union and therefore couldn't participate in European funding programs. And they're the main backers behind a lot of VC funds. 
So a lot of European, UK VCs had a lot of trouble and basically had to go on pause for a couple of years. It hit a bunch of different well-known London funds, all who had these problems. And British Business Bank, BBB, stepped into the breach and have now started backing a lot of these companies and replacing EIF money. And those funds are now back in the market, which is fantastic. Um, we were going to do the same thing. And then about sort of six months in, um, um, with money already kind of closed and investments in the market, I got a call. We had this, you know, do we wait for 18 months for this to pass and to, for BBB to spin up and to get that done? I got a call from um, uh, EQT, who by this point had raised their funds and were basically on the same mission that we were on. And they'd right. read a bunch of, the, the founding, there were three partners who started and they were looking for a four, specifically to do B2B and specifically to help them with London and help them with San Francisco. And that's obviously the two parts that I operate, two markets that I operate in. And, um, they read sort of my manifesto for, for Singular and, it, and then they showed me their manifesto for EQT Ventures and they were basically the same thing. Remarkable okay. overlap. Fit, so there's then. a perfect, perfect fit. And, and what was that manifesto? I mean, the manifesto is it's pretty, it seems obvious, but it's, it's amazing why there aren't more VCs out there doing it. First of all, a fund run and managed entirely by operator founders. So um, why is that important? Well, at an early stage um, in tech investing, um, we think that you just have a different conversation around the board table if you've been there, seen it, done it. And, and I mean the good and the bad, actually, and more, a lot of the bad, because you've had to learn the hard lessons, had some successes, but had some failures, a lot of failures, and learned a lot from it. And you have humility, you, you, you know the journey the founders on, you have empathy for the, the trials and the struggles, and you can hopefully help them to avoid some of the mistakes you made. So the other thing is also, you, you also spot trends and, um, good and bad things about a business model that might not be apparent from a spreadsheet or from just looking at it as a theoretical model. So, you know, I think it helps you to make better decisions and, and have different conversations. Now, as the business grows, a different type of investor comes in who are actually better than, than that. But in the early stage, and by early, I mean like ABC, um, uh, seed through C, because at those stages, there's still a lot of risk. Um, you know, having founder operators is very important. So that was the first, you know, thesis. The third, the second thesis is have a big fund. And take, because that allows you to take risks, and that's yeah. super important because, especially in Europe, because there isn't enough fund, you know, money to back big visions and big make big swings, um, and and so you know you need a big fund that you can do that with, and then back then more importantly, you can pile money into the ones that are going to win to help them really go big. The third one is be international. So, um, EQT phrase is local with locals, but essentially you know no, you, you know the days of just sitting in london in mayfair and expecting everyone to come to you are over and um, they've been over in the us for a long time where you know it's the opposite around the boots on the other foot where the founders have a lot of power and the best founders get hunted down and it's a race to get into them and that's happening now increasingly in europe which is fantastic for founders um so if you want to be a good vc you have to do what startups do. you have to hustle you have to work hard so that's, just, that's the the next the third thing the fourth one is is, is data. Um, we, we passionately believe in reinventing VC. VC is the least scalable, most manual work out there. So using data, using technology to, to do VC better, we totally believe in. So we've built our own tech and we have 17 engineers working on it. Um, it's, yeah, it's called um, Mother Brain, isn't it? It's called Mother Brain, yeah, it's real. She, she has her own email address, she has her own Slack channel, she <laughs> chases us in Slack. So after this meeting, I will get a chase. In, in Slack from, from her saying, hey, you've been in this, looking at all the connections that you have, Sam, and then working out all the companies and said, you know, did you talk to him about this? Here's four companies he's associated with that are good, good mother brain scores or low mother brain scores. So wow. she trains us, we train her. 
She's found about 10% of our investments to date. And when I say found, what I mean is the first interaction that we had with the company came through her finding them, not through our own outreach. So okay. early days, but, but, but impressive because actually three of those are some of our best performing companies. So um, really impressive you know, tech. And then the last bit, just to finish the story, mm. is, 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 which is, it sounds ridiculous, but I think is incredibly important, is be nice people and work incredibly hard for your companies. Now that sounds obvious, but if you get a, you know, a lot of VCs, especially ones who have had some success drunk and you know, really ask them what they feel, you will hear a very different story. And, and I've had some of my investors you know, literally pound on the table in board meetings telling me to remember who I work for. And it's certainly not, it's certainly not that they work for me. So, right. and, and I vowed never to do that again and, and never to hear that, see that, or even that. Like, you know, and, and so we just, we've been on the other side of the table. We are incredibly service-minded. We just work really hard for our founders. And, and if you, what we do is make a point of part of it is I put on all of my investments on LinkedIn, not to show off because some of them are doing great, but there's also ones that are having a bit of a tougher time. There's ones that could be great, but who knows at the moment. But what you're, why I do that is because when I talk to a founder, I say, if you want to know what we're like and you want to know why you really should take our money over, name your big name VC brand, um, call up, email, text, um, connect them into any of the founders without me knowing and just ask them. And some of them will be going great. Some of them will be in the midst of like a pivot. Some of them will be in the dark times. Some of them will come through the dark times. Some of them might have the dark times coming up, but just ask them. And that's when you'll figure out. And without fail, that's when we get the call back to say, that's exactly what we want. And it's not to say that we're amazing at making decisions or strategies, but we, we just need to be supportive and work very hard and do the right thing for the founders and for the companies whenever we can. And that sometimes is hard because it conflicts with funds and you have to have some different conversations, but, you know, generally, if you do it in the right way and you're always helping your companies and then going big and sharing the risk and the pain and the good and the bad with them, then you'll build a great partnership. And, you know, as you know, and I know, this is a long, you know, you, you could be with someone for 10 years and that's a long, long time. So you have to be genuine partners in it for the same risk and same ups and downs as the founders are. And if you can be, then, then that's how you can build a great business. And, and so far, that's, that's proving to, to bear out. Yeah, and I think all of those things that you went through are, uh, it's great to hear that that's the way that the VC market's changed, because I know from the early days, it was, you know, uh, come and do the beauty parade in front of us, and if you're lucky, we might deign you with a meeting, and if you're lucky, we might allow you a few pennies here or there. Um, It was a very hard, different market to, well, thankfully, the one you just described. Um, But do you think that's because you've come out of a Swedish or an American background that you're different. Would this be true of, let's say some of the better known, well-known UK VCs, have they changed as well? No, I think they, a lot of them haven't. That's why we're having some fun with them and winning quite a few deals. They're still great right. investors. I mean, don't, I mean, they, they no, are, no, they no, are they are great investors. investors. I'm not, but, I'm not knocking them either. But, but, uh, but we enjoy competing with them in a lot of cases and we we are starting to win a lot of deals and company building some big companies and that's always fun um because you know they haven't changed there is a new breed in london there's a lot of up-and-coming vcs that are act like exactly like we do um i think the swedish thing is important also because it actually just is a cultural mind shift i mean first of all sweden is outside of the valley and actually in a couple of years including the valley the most successful founder vc you know startup ecosystem in terms of um sort of exit, krona, euro, dollar, whatever, um, 
versus VC and the amount of VC input, a number of startups and number of successful exits. Um, you just have to look at, you know, the last few years where you've had, you know, Isaac or you've had Spotify, you've got Klarna coming up, you've got, you know, just so many amazing, all, all the gaming companies coming out of the Nordics, yeah. um, of which we've had an amazing exit with one of them, but you've got so many. I mean, it's just a phenomenal ecosystem. So first of all, they understand tech. They've got lots of great talent. They're, they're amazing at building startups. But the second thing is just the very cultural aspect of a very equal, very open, very honest, transparent relationship is very different from, um, you know, sort of other, some other cultural aspects. So I think you put all that together, but the most importantly, you put the fact that we've all been founders, operators, then that's what makes it. And, um, and you know, and, that, and then, and then you just got to work very hard with your companies because, you know, the, the first money in is the easy one. It's the second money in. It's the work you do around the board table. It's the journey you go on that's actually the hard bit. Okay. So let, let's start. I've, I've got so many questions, but let's start. Um, the, the, the recent round that you raised, 660 million, um, is that mainly Swedish pension fund money? Where where's that come from, if you can tell us? Roughly. Yeah, of course. So it's it's a um, it's a it's a we're we're a normal in inverted commas and VC fund. So it's it's money that's come from many different LPs across the world. Um, so we've got Asian LPs, we've got European LPs, we've got US LPs, and in fact, our one of our biggest L, our biggest LP is actually a US LP um, um, uh, foundation and family office. And we're very proud of the LPs we've got because a they're global. B, they themselves, a lot of our LPs are doing good themselves. It's always good to know that when we back a startup that might be doing something amazing in the world, actually, if, if our LPs, our investors make money through that, then that money is going to do good things as well. Um, whether it's pension funds, whether it's a foundation, whether it, you know, you, you name it. And that's, that's always phenomenal. We actually were very deliberate about not taking money from certain regions. Um, and we're very proud of that fact because, um, you know, we believe certain regions have not had a good history. Um, of human rights and of the way that they treat their citizens and um, their view in the world. And so we're very proud not to take money from certain regions. Um, we, um, and we, and we generally don't comment on our LP specifically, but just to say that, you know, we have a great bunch of LPs that we work very closely with um, and, and um, you know, to go on, who have the same beliefs we do on trying to build a big business and trying to back the best founders. And that's what's important. So the first, the first EQT, uh, fund was $550 million, I think. Um, what was the, you know, what, what sort of companies were you looking to invest into that? And what, what companies, you know, have done, have there been exits from that that you can talk about or, or yeah, stars? So, yeah, so, we, so, we, so, well, first of all, so the first fund was, um, in total was $630 million, which is a big okay. old fund. So 500 euros, about what you said. Um, yeah. The second one is even bigger, so about $700 million, um, and that's been announced and is live. And um, we've already made... It's these dollars, the euros, these yeah, numbers. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's increasingly the same now. Um, but, but, <laughs> Sadly. No, but, but yeah, I know. So, so the first one, we, we, we started in 2016 um, and, and um, had made all our investments by the end, by now. So by, you know, 20, halfway through 2019. So exactly three years and this fund the next fund will run three years away and so that's fast and we've been active we did almost 50 investments i think the total was actually in the end 50 investments out of that first fund that's very active hmm. very high number of companies um ranging from seed crazy seed bets um that we're really proud to back you know people like tom simmons from stem in cambridge who is basically building a plant substitute um for sugar 
which obviously sugar is a plant, but it's a um, it's a plant based. It's the first of many plant based products, but it is lower, um, much better for you. You need less of it, um, and it's certainly much better than these chemical sweeteners. Um, and, and more importantly, it acts like real sugar. It actually melts and bubbles like real sugar, so you can actually use it, in, which is the biggest barrier, by the way, to these chemical products. Product. They're not good for you. And things like you know diet coke and stuff, spurtamine, all these these sweeteners, much better for you. But it acts like real sugar because it's plant based. In, so like total breakthrough, you know, amazing. But you know, you know, real early stage bet, and he's about to go into some very big trials with some of the biggest names in the world. So super exciting. People like that, all the way through to um, late stage US startups where you know one of our brightest stars in the US is a company called um, Handshake who just launched in the UK um, big round last year raising going very very fast indeed um, went on their way to becoming a unicorn and they, they're like a LinkedIn for college students so you know real range there because we're generalists and we you know we generally invest in many different sectors um, but we back great founders and in Europe it tends to be a little bit earlier because that's where a lot of the opportunities are C series A series B um, to to build great businesses and, and often to go international. Um, in the US, it's slightly later, Series B and Series C, because that's the stage at which they're looking to Europe. So we're a European fund. We help companies be successful in and out of Europe. So if you're a US, we, our job is to help you expand into, into Europe, just like we did with Handshake launching in the UK. Right. So um, what do you look for? So, you know, um, well, I guess, how do you find, apart from using Mother Brain, how do you find good startups and then what do you look for in that startup you've been there you've seen it you've done it is it is it instant you know the guy or girl walks through the door you go yeah that's that's going to be you know a bit like speed dating or is it or is it you know actually we're going to get under the going to get under the skin a little bit and and it's the team it's the people and it's the i don't know what is what is it that now that you're the poacher turned gamekeeper what what is it that you look for as a vc Great question. So, um, so I think the what we look for. So, it's all it's all about people primarily. This is this is this is all about the founders, right? So, the first thing is is that it's about that the, the mother brain is a great basically a signal analysis tool, right? So, it's helping us to make decisions and it's also prompting us to look at companies that we might not have seen because there are two million startups that are tracking at any one time, right? And no VC can do that, and and so. But because we're new, we, we hustle, we go outbound, we have to go and find companies. If you've been around for 20 years and had some big exits, then you'll get more inbound. And we are starting to get some fantastic inbound. I got one yesterday. There's a company that we've been tracking for you know two years. Actually, it's a European US one, so very virtual now. And that's another feature of what we're seeing startups. And these are companies that we've been trying to get into for two years. And then we're just about to close a very, very, very high profile deal in the US and with European founders. and um, they are uh, angel investors in this company. And so they, you know, we got an inbound from this company saying, hey, we want to talk to you because we've heard you're doing this deal with this other company. So we're starting to get those inbound now off the back of our recommendations. And we want this other company because of, they called up all of our founders and said, what would we like to work with? And you know, even the most active founders who are raising loads of money still want to work with the most supportive VCs who they sit on the board table with. So inbound is increasing, but we are startup. We, we hustle like mad, like our founders to get out there into the best companies. We use data to get to figure out which companies to go after, but that is still only part of the story. The founders are a very important part of it, the most critical part of it, because you know you you it, 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 the the is not complex, right? The decision making is you know is this founder incredibly ambitious with you know very high leadership and vision 
um, and very high technical skills. We're very mostly backing technical founders around which right. you can commercialize, not the other way around, because that's yeah. it's, it's easy to it's easy to commercialize in inverted commas compared, you know, if your tech and product is incredible. So that's the first thing. Second thing is is them and this is where actually having a big fund is is actually very helpful because if you're in a big fund you have to deploy large amounts of money to move the needle on a fund over time maybe not in the first check like with stem maybe maybe that's coming in the next check you do but over time you have to be able to deploy lots of money which means the startups and you're going to raise a lot of money which generally means it's going to have to be solving a very big problem in a massive category so it, what it stops you from doing is is looking at what might be very nice businesses but are frankly you know, three or five X's, which you can put a little bit of money into. We have to take huge swings and make big bets and accept that some of them aren't going to pay off. But that means, you know, looking at very, very big categories that are being totally revolutionized, not evolutions on, on technology, but total revolutions. So we, we, that's what we go for. And um, so that's the second thing is the market. Again, is this revolutionary, not evolutionary? And then, then the hard bit comes, which is you have to really get under the skin of it because quite often, a company might not be obvious in the, 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 what the tech does. You might be, oh, this looks like X, you know, the infamous stories like with, you know, Google when they're fundraising, oh, another, another search engine. But if you look, if you took the time to get to know the technology and looked at the team and looked at what it actually did, you'd see that it was completely revolutionary compared to what had come before it. And so you, then, then you have to do the hard work and then you have to make a subjective decision based with as much data as you can. So, because there's so much unknowns, right? And then go on the journey. And, and in some cases, there's also some tactics in it. In some cases, you're actually saying, look, there's a lot of startups out here trying to tackle this problem. We think this is the founding team that has the best tech, the best idea, the most ambition. But actually, we're going to make a swing on with, a, with, this, with this partner, and we're going to this company, and we're going to partner with this founder, and we're going to invest quite a lot of money to make them the winner. Because, you know, actually, part of this, and this is the Peter Thiel zero to one, is you're trying to build monopolies. You're trying to build spaces where they are the only company and not competing with everyone. So, you know, sometimes there are tactics to that as well. So it's a, it's a fascinating game. And, and, you know, having been on the receiving end of a lot of that stuff from other companies, when we, you know, won some battles, lost some battles, um, we try and apply those lessons to try and help our founders to win in the market. And it's not just the team and the technology or the market. It's actually some, some very um, capitalistic, you know, views on competition. And that's actually incredibly important as well. Yeah, I mean, I think what you said about, putting large amounts in to give the biggest runway in order to create a monopolistic or close to monopolistic position is what I think from my perspective has always been the difference between UK VCs and American in the UK. It was always raised 1 million, 2 million, you know, that, that was it. Um, and you know, what, what you really wanted to do was, um, you know, go and do what I guess Twitter did, you know, get, get so much money yeah. that you, and then you're not even profitable, but by the time you get big, you will be profitable. Uh, and that will mean that, you know, you will return the profit eventually or return the fund investment. Um, well, more so, importantly, you're the, you'll be the winner. So, you know, so, so the bet is if you're smart enough and clever enough and you have enough money, you'll figure out the right monetization strategy, but, but, but you will have won the market. You yes. won't be, have figured out the monetization strategy early, made some money. In the meantime, you, you, you haven't got market share. You haven't become, you know, the monopoly. You, you, there, is, there, is, there is competition when you don't want any competition. And, and, and then also, the other thing is that, you know, they're focusing on monetization at the wrong time. And you've got to figure, you've got to have a path to it. But figuring on the wrong time means you focus on monetization rather than building the best product. And time and time again, history has shown us that the winner 
is not the one that makes most money earliest. Uh, although actually, you know, the best companies manage to pull off both tricks at the same time. And that's the real yeah. magic trick. But overall, it's the best product that wins time, time, yeah. time. Um, and, and then combined the other bit of the thing, and if you read Peter Seals' Zero to One, and Andy was great at saying this, it's, it's not just the best product that wins, it's the one that gets used by the most people. And that might sound like a truism, but what that means is it's the best product combined with the best distribution strategy or growth strategy. And you put those two together, then you can figure out how to monetize it. You might get it right the first time, you might have to tweak it and evolve it and pivot a bit. But, but you've got the market the to product, play with. Yes, because you've won the market. Yeah. And it's those two things, product with the best distribution um, strategy, with a founder that is super passionate in a massive, massive ev you know, um, revolutionary um, market, away you go. And that's what we're searching for. And you, and you can pivot pivot the, the model slightly within that marketplace yeah, totally. to get it right. Yeah. yeah. God, totally. I, wish, I wish you'd been a VC around when I started doing startups. God. Well, but you and me both, right? I mean, we both lived through it, right? So. Yeah. I mean, every VC I met in London was, oh, have you got your money yet? Have you got, where's your profit? Have you reached monetization yet? And it's like, no, but this is a really good idea. And if you give it a little bit of breathing time and a bit of funding behind it, it will. But no. I mean, so unfortunately for me, Honey got bought for four billion uh, yesterday. Yeah, I know. I still I know. And I'm sitting there it's crying. It's always a bit of sweet, right? It's a bit of sweet, right? Uh, well, I built a real-time price tracking system uh, for 27,000 stores online. And we had it all built and everything else. We just couldn't raise the extra funding. We had to close it. It was just so frustrating. Because we actually had a term sheet. And then they were going, oh, yeah, you've got Topshop. And you've got ASOS. Great. That's brilliant. You've got all this. And you're showing some, oh, it's just not enough yet. No, keep going. And I'm going, with what? With Vaporware. You know, it's like. Um, yeah, and, and we had the same, right? And we vowed never to be on the other end of it, right? So, you know, just similar, in, you know, that's your story. Every, every So many British, European families have the same stories. You know, for us, it was in the fight against Box and Dropbox. And I got out of the shower having raised at the time, which is an amazing Series B from a US investor in London. Matrix, you know, raising a $10 million Series B. was super proud of it. Um, and this is back in the day, right? Now people, you know, we can raise this, you know, so quickly, which is amazing for European founders. Um, and, um, and, and at the same time, Box raised 100. Yeah. And that was, yeah. the, you know, we made a bunch of mistakes on go-to-market and product. Um, totally. And that's entirely on us and holding my hands up there. But, but even if, you know, without those, and Box did as well, to be honest, but you, you can't win. Like, that was the day we knew we lost. Yeah. And, and, and that's, the, the, that's it. And it turned out, we thought, oh, they were so much further ahead than we thought they were. Turns out we were both just about to hit $10 million ARR at the same time. <laughs> and right. it turns out, that they weren't any further ahead than us, but they convinced the market they were ahead, did an amazing job of that, and a very charismatic founder, who by the way wasn't technical at all, was a theater major, which is hilarious. Um, and um, <laughs> had a good but, CTO, know, sales, right? Sales, a great CTO, exactly. Um, you know, great sales, great technology, um, at, but, but with the money, right? To be able to go and do that, and that's how you win. So right. we kind of vowed them to do that. Now, I think there's a sort of a slight, you know, tendency for, um, you know, people like you and me who have been through it to sort of think of those days and think they're still around. The good news is, is that it has fundamentally changed in Europe. There are some very strong investors around. There's much more money around. There is a bunch of the biggest name US VCs now piling into Europe, setting up offices in Europe. Um, people like Lightspeed and General Catalyst and um, a bunch of, you know, there is rumors obviously about Sequoia opening up and, um, you know, Axel and Index are still very active. We're here, Atomico's here, all deploying big sums, growing big businesses. And that's, fantastic so i think those days have genuinely passed um Good. and that's kudos to all the founders that have done amazing jobs but there is still 
um, I think even within that, yes, there's some bigger checks coming. There's still more money in the valley and there's still more this propensity to build very big businesses. So I think we have to, we're still getting over the final vestiges of that. Um, and there's still room for VCs to act much more founder friendly, which is you know, certainly part of what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, of all the success stories that people have interviewed, I mean, obviously yourself and Andy, but um, I don't know if you know Glenn Shoesmith over at JNRI yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. amazing yeah. story, right? You know, we knew Glenn from back in the day and he hustled and worked and worked and worked yeah. and it's been phenomenal. But he had to go to Boston to get his money. Um, yeah. I don't, I mean, you know, you look at Michael Acton Smith, you know, with Calm and, and Chewy, yeah. you know, again, I mean, okay, they knew Michael Birch and they could get some funding. But again, it, it just felt, the, the story has always felt for many UK entrepreneurs, even good entrepreneurs who had great ideas that could have been big businesses had they got the funding. They always felt they had to go to the States. And that was one thing, but also, um, I always heard whether it was true or not war stories about uh, VCs in the US wouldn't invest into European startups, not because they didn't believe in the entrepreneurs or the fund, uh, sorry, the, the technology and the idea, but because they just didn't want to have to travel for board meetings to the UK. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was the only reason. So off on a train, off on a plane, you get relocate into the Valley and we'll back you, but stay over in the UK or Europe. And well, no, just because it's inconvenient, we won't be doing it. Uh, and you know it sounds like you're saying that's changed that whole thing about well it's changing it's still it's still true i mean it used to be you had to do that you couldn't be a U european top co certainly not a german one um but it's changing I and mean, you know some of the vcs in the valley are actually very active being over in europe now um and you, people are investing in german top co's uk top co's and being happy about it it's changing but it's natural that you you want to be where your team is are to focus on them yeah so um so so that's what we do i mean that local with locals being um, where your companies are and being able to support them is super important, finding local talent. So, you know, one thing, it might be great if a US VC is coming across to Europe and landing on a plane to, to help you because they are making that effort. But if they don't have a local network, if they don't have the talent, if they don't have the time or the network to be able to help you find and land just because the time zone is the best people because that's what founders should be, the VC should be doing for their companies, you know, mostly it's about talent, then they're not going to be used to you despite their name. So, I think actually what's even more exciting for European founders is, is the rise of really strong local VCs who are as good, if not better, than their US counterparts and are here, have the local networks, can build the talent, and then can help you move into different international markets, which, yes, might be the US, but actually now might be Asia as well. So, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be a change as well we see over the next few years. Well, you mentioned it, so let me ask you. Um, are you currently having a fund or will you raise a fund to do specifically India and China and the Far East? So we, um, so we, EQT, so EQ Ventures, EQT Ventures is, is sort of, it's like a group structure. We're part of a family of funds that include, that have been around for many years. So it's basically, we came together because a bunch of founder operators came together to build this VC fund. And we did it in conjunction with a platform of funds called EQT who are out of Stockholm. 25 years old, just went public, amazing, amazing startup success story in their own right, came from sort of built it off the back of this pure startup. And um, so that's exciting to watch, you know, you know, there are startups all over the place, not just in tech, you know, in financial services as well. And um, they have 18 offices across the world, including a, a lot of funds in Asia and are very international. So we, we think internationally by default, for sure, our ambition is to build. So we start out Europe, we've got Europe and US. Um, for sure, as we look to the future, we, we, we're definitely going to open up and start doing venture investing and venture funds outside of 
Europe and Asia, uh, sorry, Europe and the US, and that, that means obviously Asia. Um, we don't know quite know what our strategy is going to be. I don't think we'll be going into China is insanely well funded and has a, unless you're a local there, really, it's very hard to be successful. Amazing, amazing culture and startup business, you know, ecosystem there. Um, there are lots of opportunities outside of China, Southeast Asia, um, uh, other parts of Asia, as you talked about, India and so on. And that might be a combination of obviously, you know, the same strategy we've employed, which is startups from there wanting to go into Europe, but also mm -hmm. helping, you know, European um, startups to go into those markets um, or US startups. So, you know, I think that we'll figure out our strategy, but definitely we have ambitions to be there um, over the coming funds. Okay. And we also have ambitions to build a to build a growth fund on top of us, by the way. I and mean, we're very ambitious in our own right. So, you know, this journey doesn't stop at Series C, right? You know, look at Series D, E, pre-IPO, post-IPO. You know, we want to be able to support the companies all the way through. So it's like we'll start a growth fund as well. Nice. Okay, well, I'll keep an eye out for that one. Um, okay, I've got a couple of quick-fire questions for you. Um, what was your first investment personally? What, what did you invest in? What was the first one? My first investment was um, in a guy called um, George Beavis, who became a, he's a serial entrepreneur and started a um, business banking called Tide um, uh, in the UK. And he had a, a mobile phone replacement recycling business, so you could trade for trade-in service, basically, for mobile phones. That was the first one. Um, and then a series of, um, of angel investments, some of which EQT effect, and some of which are gone to be very big businesses now, um, companies like Permutive who are an extraordinary success story out of London um, uh, in edge computing um, and data. So yeah, a bunch of, you know, it's been great. So yeah, that's what started on this journey. So that was probably about, how long ago was that? Probably about eight years ago, um, first angel investments, and then became an institutional one, you know, um, two and a bit years ago. Too. So how did that feel, that first one that you did? I mean, did you, did you do the typical, you know, very calm, sign it, run back, round the back and throw your hands <laughs> up in the air and go, yes, did it, you know? What I mean? Yeah, well, was I mean, the good, well, as George will tell you, um, he's a great guy and he'll tell you that first one wasn't a success, right? So we all lost our money on it, which is a great shame. We worked very hard at it. Um, um, and then my second one would, then was a success though. The second one was, a, was an exit um, to Bloomberg, was a company called Folio Shack. Um, um, with um, Alex Peretti, who's now in Sephora doing his next startup. But, but on both of those, um, yeah, they were very nerve wracking, right? For them and us, it was for the founders and us, but we were all in it together because, you know, you know they, were, they were hustling together what they could. And, and then, you know, they, both those founders have stayed being very good friends and stayed close partners and friends, which I think says everything about, about the businesses you're building, despite whether they're successful or not. Go around again, do it again, and away you go. <laughs> Um, okay, your Beatles moment. Um, which investment did you miss that you wish you'd got into? So, you know, the guys who missed signing the Beatles, which, did, which investment yeah. have you missed? Oh, God, there's loads. I mean, I think, um, I mean, so it's hard. I think, look, there's, there's loads. I mean, I think everyone has done the opportunities. Some of the ones Andy did, which I could have invested in, I didn't, I should have done. Um, you know, you mentioned calm, people like that. Um, on, on a VC journey, um, we we were getting to know the UI path guys well and didn't work. Frankly, that was a lesson to us that we didn't hustle hard enough to get to know them, spend time with them to prove our value to get to do that one. And maybe they're not obviously a very successful big business, at, you know, internationally now in the um, RPM space. Um, and then um, everyone knows this, you know, the guy, the team, um, Tom Blumfeld at Monzo, who's become a good friend. Um, we could we could have led his series b and, and we didn't um i was new into the funds i didn't do a good enough job of convincing my 
partners and the investment committee to just pay up a bit more. The classic thing that we have never achieved that mistake again, which is a good one. <laughs> okay. um, but I would have loved to work with him and we had that opportunity to do that. And he's gone on and done amazing things. We have the highest yeah. respect for everything that him and his team are doing and love that business. So yeah, there's, look, there's lots. If you're an investor, there's, you always have ones and they, they're the ones that keep you, you know, super keen and working your ass off to, to do a good job for founders to make sure you don't miss the next one. Okay, so now we've got Fund 2. What is the focus for Fund 2? I mean, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm looking at scale up and I'm looking to come to EQT, do you have a particular set of markets that you look for or are you going quite broad? You know, so what, what's the second fund they're focusing on? So it's the same as it's basically exactly the same as uh, the first fund because the okay. first one was very successful. We had you, you talked about sort of um, sort of exits and successes of that first fund. I mean, we um, uh, that first fund we already started returning money to our investors, which is fantastic. And and our LPs tell us we're in the top five percent of all funds of 2016. So it, it's gone nice. very well. well we had a big exit with a company called Small Giant Games, which is in Gabort. Um, and was a very successful exit for the founders for Zynga for us. It's an amazing game. Um, consistently in the top 10 of global mobile games. And um, we've got another number of other, you know, businesses that are very successful, like Vault, which is a food delivery business, um, Handshake, I mentioned, and, you know, Purposive, all these ones that are actually you know, building very big unicorn businesses. So it, it's gone very well. So we're gonna do, we wouldn't want to change it. So do the same thing again. We've been very lucky at the founders we've been privileged to work with. So same again, in Europe, Series A and B primarily, in the US, Series B and Series C. Very generalist, so no sector specific. We've invested in um, B2B software, B2C games, B2C apps, um, marketplaces, B2B and B2B2C marketplaces. We've invested in software-enabled hardware. Um, we've invested in everything from logistics, um, you know, companies like Dartstore, which is an asset like you know, same-day delivery business, through to um, you know, people putting cameras in the ceiling of retail stores like standard commission to basically mean you don't have to ever go to a checkout ever again. Mm -hmm. um, Vario, which is a headset um, for mixed reality, um, for professional use, incredible human eye resolution product through to food delivery, like I said, with Vault, through to gaming. So hardcore, deep technology, like permittive, uh, you know, sugar substitutes are very, you know, really across the board. So come to us with, with anything, honestly. We don't invest in biotech. We just don't know that market. We're not good. We don't know it. We, don't, we can't help yeah. you there. Um, we, um, but, but in almost every other sector, including fintech, obviously, um, we, we are active in. Um, we don't do much crypto um, because, again, we don't know it as well as other investors know it. Um, not that we don't think that the future of money is different types of um, fiat currencies. But, yeah. um, but you know, we, we've got investments in the, you know, in the picks and shovel space that's supporting that ecosystem. We're not directly in blockchain. But generally, everything else, what we're looking for is what we talked about before, which is, you know, a massive, and it sounds trite, but genuinely revolutionary approach, an amazing founder with the grit and the tech talent, technical founders, that's, mm -hmm. that is an important part. So um, people who are, who are building product themselves um, and, and that are, you know, that are willing to go on a very big journey and raise a lot of money to build, you know, can this be a you know, $10 billion business? If it can, then come and talk to us. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, I'm, I'm aware of your time. I've just got one last or two last quick questions. Um, Uber, Airbnb, WeWork all did their IPOs recently. Um, all three, well, WeWork didn't do its IPO, actually. No, and Airbnb's um, coming up. Announced they're going to do it, but it's, it's not yeah. done yet. But yes, go for it. Um, the, 
the, the the challenge that SoftBank had is that you know that they're looking at these markets and and making big bets, like you said, uh, on, on businesses that aren't profitable, um, and they're going to IPO. Is this you know a model that will be sustainable? You know, longer term, can can you really take companies that are not profitable to market, IPO them, and you know watch the value drop? Is it is that a model that has to change? Well, I think, look, we're going, through, we're going through a cycle, right? And we're coming towards the end of the 10-year cycle that we've been in, which has enabled an amazing number of startups to be built um, with a lot of money sloshing around in the system at the top level to invest in startups and to bear a lot of losses. Now, we would never have Uber and these businesses if it hadn't happened. And, you know, whether, regardless of what happens in the future, the, that model of, car ride sharing you know car usage is here to stay so you know i think yes it's been there's been a lot of money yes businesses have come to market perhaps when they shouldn't in some cases or tried to but generally if you're building a you know you was the fastest business and the biggest business to be of its size ever right and it still is and it's and it's still a great business and we all use it every day so you know in i think yes things will change things will tighten up a bit there'll be another cycle when things become a bit freer again. I think that's different from um, the WeWorks of this world, which is still happened because of the same basic market phenomenon, which is too much money sloshing around, too many investors around, not enough corporate governance. But it was, it was a lesson to the industry, right? And everyone knew. I mean, what I loved about that story is that the, you know, what we all knew to be true was true. In other words, there was some reality around it. It would have been terrible if that had come to the market and lost a lot of retail investors their money. So I'm pleased that it's now getting sorted out. It's still a great business. We all use WeWork. All our companies use it, right? So, right. And, and, but, but in its current form, with its current economic model, it can't continue and can't be a public business. So it's good that it's being fixed. I mean, we all know any retail, any uh, um, real estate investor will tell you, we've seen this story before, right? I mean, you know, look at Regus, you look at, at Regus, and they're a good business, but they're just not the same size of business and scale that yeah. we work because it doesn't work, right? So, so that's good. The market is actually sensible and that's a good thing. Um, we're coming to the end of the cycle, but for the best businesses, and, and this is where the unit economic model is so fundamentally important. If you're buying business that you're basically buying at a loss and there are still businesses out there doing it, even even in the middle of this WeWork crunch, there are still businesses, some of the delivery business, some of the food businesses that are still doing that. You cannot, you, that is not a fundamentally sustainable you know, business 101, right? And it might yes. have helped you to get market share, um, which is, goes back to our previous point. But, that, but at some point, you've got to turn that into a business model that works. So what I think companies forgot was the point at which that has to happen, right? And that's what has to happen at the series B, C, D mark you can't do that in the public markets. Go, oh, well, we still haven't quite figured out our model. Um, you know, you can't, that's not, that's not the place for that. So I think it's just a good economic 101, putting a bit of reality on it. I hope this isn't, you know, there's still, if you want, if you're an LP and you want to make money, tech is still the best place to put your money. Right. And it will okay. be for quite a while. So I think it's just been a good economic reality check. And I hope that it'll just, you know, bring some bit more reality to startups, but it doesn't change the bets that we're making, the size of the companies and the type of founders we want to back. Brilliant. Now, I, I've got one last thing. Um, I remember we met in a uh, restaurant in London, you, me and yeah. Andy. And um, I think my only advice to you boys was go big or go home. Um, yeah, <laughs> which we simply adopted. We love yes. it. Thank you so much for that. 
So I, I was very pleased when I spoke to Andy. He said, yeah, Ali used to use that, go big or go home. And I was, I was a little bit All chuffed the time. on the side. I still do. I still do. I still do. So we have a lot. I mean, this is what's great, right? Is that there's, you take all the lessons you've learned from the, and things you've learned and you try and apply it and help the, you know, the next generation of fans, which is amazing. Well, Ali Mitchell, partner at EQT Ventures, successful entrepreneur. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Sam, as ever, amazing pleasure. And thanks for everything you've done as well. So great to talk to you. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.